Hello, ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at vab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the New Testament of the Christian Bible, which is set up into sections like the Old Testament. The first four books are called Gospels, which mean good news. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called Synoptic Gospels because they are similar in style. But the book of John, the fourth Gospel, is unique. The Gospels tell the story of the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Then we have one book of history in the New Testament, and that is called Acts. Sometimes it's called Acts of the Church or Acts of the Apostles. This starts where the Gospels leave off and go through spreading the good news in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then throughout the earth. Our next section of the New Testament is called the Epistles of Paul, also known as the Letters of Paul. And there are 13 letters written by him, some to people and some to churches. He wrote most of the New Testament. We then have eight general letters or general epistles, and these are written by various people. The writer of Hebrews is unknown, and the others are known by the name of the author. Finally, the last book is apocalyptic, and it's called Revelation, and it is singular, not plural, and it tells us of Jesus' final reign. All the New Testament books were written by either an eyewitness of Jesus or a close friend to those who were eyewitnesses. Jesus was born around 4 AD, and he began his ministry about the age of 30, and his time with the disciples lasted about three years. We come to that conclusion because of how many times the gospel tells us that Jesus went to Jerusalem to the Passover. Many of these books were written at least 20 years after Jesus and most before 70 AD when the temple was destroyed by the Romans. One thing to note about the Gospels is that they were written years after Jesus ascended and they each wrote with a purpose in mind and that purpose dictated to them what to include and not include about the life of Jesus. The Apostle John said at the end of his gospel, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. So their writing is purposeful in hopes to teach us something specific about Jesus. And when we understand that, that helps us to see the differences in the Gospels, not as contradictions, but as explanations. It's like when eyewitnesses give an account of an accident. Their stories don't fully match up because of their viewpoint of where they are standing or what they were doing at the time. When they don't match up, that gives credence to the truth. Instead of when eyewitnesses say the exact thing and the exact way, then it seems as if their stories were planned. That being said, let's look at Matthew, the first gospel of the New Testament. Historically, 
This Matthew is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus who was the tax collector. He wrote to the Jews with the intent to show that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited one. He wrote in about 60 to 65 AD. The key verse of the book is chapter 5, verse 17, when Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Matthew is placed as the first book of the New Testament because he is a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Many times he writes, so the prophets might be fulfilled, or it was written. He showed that Jesus is the line of King David, and therefore he is the long-awaited king with his everlasting kingdom of heaven, where the righteous and unrighteous are shown by their actions. Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus, and verse 1 says, The book of generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Already he sets the stage to say that Jesus fulfilled the promise or the covenant of God to both David and Abraham. One thing to note about genealogies is when there is a difference in the flow of the wording, we should stop and see why. In verse 3, we see a woman's name, Tamar, whose story is found in Genesis 38. And she is also mentioned in Ruth chapter 4, verse 12. She was found to be more righteous than Judah, who slept with her because he thought she was a prostitute. Then we see another woman, Rahab, who is known as a woman of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, and in James chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Her story is found in Joshua chapters 1 through 6, and she was the Canaanite woman of Jericho that hid the spies because she believed in the God of the Jews. Ruth, a Moabite, came to Judah with her mother-in-law after her husband died, and she married a kinsman redeemer, Boaz. The Lord blessed them with a son. With these two women, we see that Jesus' line was not just Jews, but of people from other nations. Then we see in verse 6, And Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Matthew is pointing out David's sin of adultery and murder with that statement. Jesus' line was not a holy line. We then have a list of kings of Judah, some good, some not. And then verse 16 reads, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Did you notice that Matthew did not say Jacob begat Jesus? It does not say that Jacob is the father of Jesus. It says that Jacob is the husband of Mary, who had Jesus. Ladies, this belief that Jesus was born of a virgin is very important to the Christian faith. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, the Lord is speaking to the serpent and he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise your head and thou shall bruise his heel. This is the first declaration of the one that is coming who will crush the serpent's head. And it comes through the seed of the woman, not the man. 
If Jesus would have been born of the seed of Adam, he would have carried the sin seed. But because Jesus was born of God, the son of God, he was born without sin. Matthew is saying all of this in just one genealogy of Jesus. And then he ends this section with, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away from Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Now the number 14 is a perfect number to the Jew. And this is declaring that the times between these major events in the Jewish history are perfect and that the Lord has perfect timing. In the birth story of Jesus, Matthew draws some similarities between Jesus and Moses. In the Old Testament, Joseph, the enslaved son of Jacob, had a dream which led them going to Egypt. In the New Testament, Joseph had a dream which led them to Egypt. In the Old Testament, while in Egypt, Pharaoh killed the baby boys. In Matthew, Herod killed the baby boys two years old and younger. Later, we see that Moses went to the mountain to get the laws. And in chapter 5, we see that Jesus goes to the mountain and gives the renewed laws with the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 22 of chapter 1 of Matthew reads, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And that is found in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Chapter 2 continues the birth story with regards to the wise men from the east. And Isaiah chapter 60 verse 3 says, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Then verse 6 reads, A multitude of camels will cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba will come, and they will bring gold and frankincense, and will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. Then verses 5 and 6 of Matthew cover the verses that Micah the prophet said in chapter 5 verse 2 which said, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are the least among the princes of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler that shall rule my people Israel. And verse 15 of chapter 2 quotes Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 with, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Matthew then quotes the prophet Jeremiah in verses 17 and 18. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Here Matthew says, their going to Nazareth was spoken through the prophets, but our Old Testament Christian Bible does not have that verse. It may be from scripture that he had, which we do not, or it may reference Isaiah 11.1, 1, but we don't know for sure. Chapters 1 and 2 cover the birth narrative of Jesus, focusing on the role of Joseph and the wise men, which can be called the prologue. Now, according to B.W. Bacon, he sees five, quote, books within Matthew, each starting with a narrative or telling a story, then a discourse or a teaching from Jesus, and then they end with a formula which says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, 
This formula is found in chapter 7, verse 28, chapter 11, verse 1, chapter 13, verse 53, chapter 19, verse 1, and chapter 26, verse 1. Then the last three chapters are the epilogue from the Last Supper to the Resurrection of Jesus. The narrative in chapters 3 and 4 start with John the Baptist, and Matthew quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Also keep in mind that at the end of the Christian Old Testament, it ends with Elijah is coming, and we learn that that was John the Baptist. Verse 8 shows that John the Baptist said to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Another theme of Matthew is that our actions should reflect our faith. The narrative continues with Jesus coming to John to be baptized. And at first, John said, I am not worthy. But Jesus said in verse 15, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So John did. And immediately, another word which Matthew likes. When he came out of the water, the heavens opened and the spirit of God descended like a dove and lighting was upon him. And behold, a voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is one place in scripture where we see the three person of the Trinity, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son of God. Chapter 4 starts that after his baptism, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Here the devil tempted Jesus with similar temptations of the people of Israel when they were in the wilderness, but they failed miserably. Jesus, however, did not fail. But one thing to notice is that Jesus did not defeat the devil with his own words. He quoted Deuteronomy, the book of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 6, chapter 6 verse 16, and then chapter 6 verse 13. If Jesus, the Son of God, quoted scripture in spiritual warfare, how much more do we? After his temptation, he learned that John was put into prison, so Jesus left Nazareth and stayed in Capernaum, the northern part of Israel by the Sea of Galilee, and that fulfilled Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. He began preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he called four fishermen, Simon Peter, Andrew, James his brother John. Then immediately... They left the ship with their father and followed Jesus. Jesus' ministry included teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases among the people. Chapter 4, verse 23. And many people began to follow him. Chapters 5 through 7 are the discourse, the Sermon on the Mount, and oh, how I wish I had time to go through these words. They are powerful. He starts with the Beatitudes, people who are blessed. If you remember the Old Testament, those who follow the Lord are blessed, and those who do not are cursed. This is full of the phrase, you have heard it said, but I say to you, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14, after the second giving of the law to the new generation that would be entering the promised land, the Lord said, 
For this commandment which I command you this day, it's not a burden from you, neither is it far off, but the word is very near to you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. It's funny to me, this time when I read through the Old Testament, I kept thinking, that doesn't seem too bad. I can do that. Don't murder, don't lie, don't commit adultery. It's not as legalistic as don't smoke, don't drink, and don't dance. But when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I say, I can't do that. I can't love my enemy. Jesus sets a new standard of righteousness that we cannot fulfill in the flesh. It can only be done in the spirit. And it is grounded in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 28 and 29 end with, And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He taught that way because he is the authority. Matthew started off with a bang, proving to us that Jesus is the long-awaited one. He is the Messiah, the descendant of King David, that will reign in an everlasting kingdom. He is like no other prophet, priest, or sage. He speaks in power and authority, and he can speak into your life too, if you are willing. So today, ladies, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like Herod. Instead, let's be like Joseph and Mary, the wise men, John the Baptist, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and his brother John. And let's leave everything and follow him. Until next time, and thank you so much for listening.